Okay, so last night, as we're sitting down, last night we had a, a great time with uh, Dan and Katie Beth Searles. What was one of the takeaways? What do you guys remember from that time? Okay, it's hard to get the gospel into some places. Does that mean we just don't worry about it? Try harder. Exactly. All right. Ella, there's a lot of noise in your section over here. Thank you. All right. So what else did we take away from last night? It's hard to get the gospel to some places. What else? It takes resources. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Yep, Gideon. Yep. That's exactly right. And it's not only that, but any time that you choose to speak truth into the life of a friend or so someone here or somewhere around the world, if you're speaking truth of the life of Christ into them, you are sharing the gospel in one shape, way, shape, or form, and it does matter. Okay, so tonight... Good friend of mine, Billy Coppage, is coming. He's going to share a little bit about his missionary journey. He's the other missionary family for Indian Springs this year. Missions is obviously near and dear to my heart, as Iris and I are also missionaries. And I think he's going to share a little bit about his life and, and what he and his family are doing. And also, again, the ultimate goal for us is to help you understand that you have to weaponize what God's given you to take the enemy or take the fight into the enemy's courts, okay? So that's what we want to be about. We were all created for something, something unique, beautiful, and God's given us a special skill set to take the fight to the enemy's court. So that's, uh, that's what we want to be about. So let's give a round of applause to Billy as he comes up to share with us. We good there? Great. Thank you. Guys, thanks for letting me join you tonight. My name is Billy Coppage, and uh, it is my privilege to actually be with you guys. Um, this is the thing is, um, it is way past my bedtime. So you guys are going to have to be bear with me, because um, if I get tired and just fall over, go to sleep, I want to just go ahead and quickly give you my couple of points. One, the world is full of hungry people. Two, they're looking for people like you who have met Jesus and have been satisfied and experienced something of the life-giving realities of Jesus in your life. Because when they encounter people like you who have met Jesus, it gives them hope that maybe Jesus can make a difference in their lives. So that's where we're going. But to get there, I want to start with a story. I want to start with a story about Jake. And I don't know, some of you guys may have heard about the Asbury outpouring of what God did at Asbury in February of this last year. You guys in touch with, like, any of you guys tracked with any of that? A few of you? Okay, yeah, for sure. So uh, I got to, my, um, my wife's Joanna, and we've been living in Uganda for a long time. This last year, God brought us back to Kentucky to live. And uh, so we found ourselves in Kentucky, based out of there for a little town called Wilmore for a year. And uh, Wilmore is this small little town where Asbury University is. 
And uh, right about middle, early, second week of February, God showed up in a really powerful way. And uh, in kind of an amazing way. And literally, um, students were meeting Jesus in amazing ways. People started hearing about it. And then more people started coming in wanting to meet Jesus. And they were, they were, they were so... Um, desperate to get there. They said in two and a half weeks, they had 50,000 people show up in this little town. Well, uh, one night I was in over to hang out um, and uh, just to kind of see, you know, is there anybody I needed to talk with or maybe pray with? I just was kind of trying to be available if anybody needed help, counseling, whatever. And uh, I didn't go into the chapel this time um, because they had big lines. There were people waiting to go inside. And it was one of those nights they had said you had to be 25 years or younger. So 25 years or younger, if you were over than that, come back tomorrow. It's only open for 25 and under. So I go out and begin to mingle along the line, just trying to figure out, is there somebody to talk to? That stuff makes me nervous, talking to random strangers. But uh, I kind of felt nudged like I was supposed to, and so I struck up a conversation with a guy named Jake. And Jake had driven all the way from New Jersey. He had heard that Jesus had shown up at Asbury. And so he had driven all the way from New Jersey down to Kentucky. And we were standing there in the line, and he said, hey, don't tell anybody, I'm 36. And he said, "Uh, I got in last night, nobody found out, but if they ask, just tell them I'm 25. And you know what, I thought, that's really funny, that's the first time in my life I've ever met somebody that was lying to try and get into church. And I thought, what would possess a guy, this dude, to get in his truck and drive from New Jersey all the way down to Kentucky to lie about his age so that he could get closer to God? And I want to suggest to you what it was in his heart. The thing that stirred him to make that kind of choice was the issue of hunger. Jake was hungry, and he wasn't exactly sure what he was hungry for but he was hungry for God. And he drove to Asbury saying, I want to do whatever I have to do to get as close as I possibly can to wherever Jesus is. And men and women, I want to just suggest to you the world is full of hungry people. The world is full of hungry people, physical hungers, but the world is full of people that are hungry for God. And uh, the cool thing is, is uh, my job is that I get to tell people I get to feed hungry people. That's my job. The world's full of hungry people, and my job is to help feed hungry people. You say, Billy, what do you mean by that? There's a verse in Scripture that says, you shall not feed man on, on the man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And guess what? One of the things that Joanne and I get to do is we have the opportunity to be able to help people encounter God through his word. This next month, we have the opportunity to move to Israel and be a part of training Bible translators so that they can go out and help their communities, help people in their countries encounter God through his word. So that's what we get to do. We get to feed hungry people with God's word. But Billy, that's kind of a funny thing. When I think of hunger, I usually typically think of like, you know, I get thirsty for an AO8 or I get hungry for barbecue. So I'm curious, like you're using hunger in a, in a, in what way? That's a good question. That's a fair question. 
I wonder if I could come at that with another story. Before I do, though, I want to just quickly mention, because I almost forgot. Anybody know what a prayer card is? Do you guys know prayer cards? You've seen those before. I'm seeing a few nods of heads. A prayer card is just an opportunity to take a picture of our family. And maybe Dan and Katie Beth talked about these last night. But they, we have them over in the breezeway there at the bookstore. There's, this, there's piles of them. I'd love you to go by and grab one. Pick it up, put it in your Bible, put it by your bed, smack it up on your mirror somewhere, I don't know where. Put it in your car. But I'd love to challenge you to pray for our family. Pray for Dan and Katie Beth's family. Because your prayers are incredibly powerful. And when you pray... Things change in our circumstances. And particularly, I'd love you to pray for our five kids, Elsie, Jane, Lucy, Sophie, Chloe, and Blake. We got five kids. They're about to jump into a whole new culture, a whole new reality, a whole new language. And I would love to challenge you to say, go by, pick up a prayer card, and pray for our family. We desperately, desperately need that. Now, having said that, I want to turn back to this story. This is a story that comes from God's word, but there's a couple of things you need to know about it. I think it's going to help us dial in on this issue of hunger. In this story, there's two characters, a man and a woman that have gotten married. Their names are Isaac and Rebecca, and Rebecca had twins, and their names were Jacob and Esau. Now, there's a second thing you need to know. In their day, there was something we call the birthright. And we could spend a lot of time talking about what is a birthright, you know, do we have birthrights? As best I can tell, though, two things, two important things about a birthright. One, whoever had the birthright had the spiritual authority in the family. So if you had the birthright, you're the guy in charge when your dad dies. Second, whoever has the birthright, you get twice as much inheritance as the rest of your siblings. So when your dad dies, you get twice the money, twice the property, twice the livestock, whatever it is you get a double portion. So the, 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 the birthright was super important in the days of Isaac and Rebekah. So with that in mind, this is a true story. It comes from God's word and it goes like this. When the boys grew up, Esau was a man of the fields. He was a skillful hunter. But Jacob was a peaceful man preferring to live in the tents. Now, Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for wild game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, it was on one occasion that Jacob was making stew, and Esau came in from the field and said, give me a bowl of that red soup. Part of how he got his name Edom, which means red. And Jacob said to him, sell me your birthright first. And Esau said, what good is my birthright? I'm about to die of hunger. And Esau, but, Esau, but Jacob made him swear. And so Esau swore and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave him a loaf of bread and a bowl of lentil soup. And he sat down and he ate and he drank and then he rose up and went. And thus Esau despised his birthright. That's the end of the story. It comes from Genesis 25. 
beginning from verse 27. Would you just bow in a short prayer with me? Jesus, we need you. I want to ask you to come here to the youth tab tonight. As we talk about hunger, there's a world of hungry people just outside these gates. But the truth is, there's a lot of hunger represented right here in this tabernacle. We're hungry for God. We're hungry for, for attention. We're hungry to be loved. We're hungry to be known. We're hungry to be safe. Jesus, could you come and could you meet us as we talk about this, even as we think about the world outside? We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Men and women, this story has been growing on me. And it's curious. It's a curious little story. You got these two brothers that show up. And you see them vying. They're fighting over this birthright. And I wish we had more time. We could kind of just look at hunger. You know, it's kind of like, in some ways, it's real clear. Take Isaac. You guys, do you remember he's the dad? And what was Isaac, what did he enjoy eating? Did you catch that? What was he hungry for? Wild game, exactly. Well said. You've got the dad of the family, and he's a, he loves it when his son brings in some fresh venison. Do you guys do venison here in Georgia? Is that a thing? Not so much? I'm here. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, some of you guys. A few of y'all, yeah. So Isaac loves fresh game. Now, what's interesting is Isaac loves fresh game so much. He gets so hungry for wild meat that how does it impact his family? Which one of his sons does he begin to prefer? The one who lives in the tents or the one who's the good game hunter? Help me out. The game hunter. It's curious. I wish we had more time to develop this. But it's interesting. In this story, you have a dad whose hungers have begun to skew, have begun to distort the family dynamics. So much so that the dad picks one kid over another kid because that kid meets his hunger. Be interesting if we had time to just say, how's that work at your house? How's that work at your house? Can any of us relate to family dynamics like that? But it's interesting. It doesn't stop there. Go to Rebecca. You find Rebecca, and what does it say? It's interesting. It's quiet about the game. It's like, oh, we wish we had more information. Wish we had some more details. What is Rebecca hunger after? It doesn't say much other than, but she loved Jacob. And you begin to wonder, well, wait a second. What's going on here? Shouldn't she love Isaac? Shouldn't she love both her boys the same? But she loved. And now suddenly you have, a, you have parents that are divided. And you wonder, is, is there something in this mother that is beginning to find her identity in her son? She's hungering for something, and she's beginning to look to, for it in one of her children. Any of y'all relate to that? One of your parents is looking to you to maybe kind of help shape or meet some need in, your, in their heart? Again, I don't know. We could spend more time on that. But what we do know is, all of a sudden, you have this game hunter coming from the field, Esau. Apparently, he was a very hairy red man. And he's this game hunter. And he comes in, and he's desperate, and he's hungry for what? 
Somebody help me out. Soup. He comes in and his brother's making a bowl of soup and he's hungry for soup. It's interesting to contrast him with Jacob. What is Jacob doing? He's making the soup. But now somebody help me out. Anything in this story that you can sense, what is Jacob hungering for? Somebody say it. What's the birthright? I think you're exactly right. Somebody help me out. What do you think's behind the birthright? Do you think the birthright's just the birthright, or do you think there's something more? What's he hungry? What's he hungry for? Right there. Say it again. Dude, you've been number two your whole life. Your, your dad's picked your brother your whole life. You're like, man, I can't wait. If I get that birthright from him, then the day's coming when I will be number one. Finally, somebody will recognize me. I love it. Excellent observation. What else is he hungry for? Yeah, right here. Dude. Agree or disagree? He's hungry for approval. Maybe if I have the birthright, my dad will pay attention to me. You've been ignored for however long, as long as Esau has been killing more uh, deer than you. You've been ignored for however long all you are is just desperate for my dad to pay attention to me. He wants his parents' approval. Specifically, he wants his father's approval. You've got Esau, on the one hand, all he wants is a bowl of soup. On the other, you've got Jacob, on the other hand, is he, is it, do you get the sense he's really hungry for soup? No. I'm curious because there's something here going on. Esau comes in from the fields, and what's Jacob doing? He's preparing the soup. You almost get the sense it was like a setup. I'm going to have it almost ready, kind of got it on that low simmer. It's starting to smell good. I got some hot bread going. Oh, baby. But you get the sense it was almost as if he was laying the groundwork. He had conspired so that when his hungry brother came in, he would have him at a point of weakness. Are we together? This is my, this is my question. What do you see in what do you see in Jacob? Describe is there anything we could learn about his heart or the way he's relating with his brother by just the choices he makes in that part of the story? Anything stand out? Anything we could learn about his heart? There he is, making soup quite possibly planning, longing, desperate for approval, wanting to be number one, looking for a place of leadership and influence. What do you sense? How would you describe his heart? Somebody help me out. Yeah, right there. Say again. Desperate. Excellent. What else? Oh, say it again. Oh, jealousy. I love it. Excellent. Thank you. What else? Crafty. Dude, I love that word. Crafty. The word that came to my mind was schemer. 
Here's a guy that actually is trying to manipulate relationships so that he can get what he wants. He's trying to meet hungers in his heart by manipulating relationships to get what he wants. The question is, is Esau doing that? Do you see Esau trying to manipulate things and be tricky? No. Esau comes in. We said he was hungry for soup. What does the soup represent to Esau? Somebody help me out. I'm not trying. Food. I'm not trying to be tricky. Thank you for being brave. Whoever said that. It just represents food. Do you get the sense Esau is hungry for something? Like, is, he, is it more spiritual or kind of more uh, immaterial, like approval or maybe validation? Or Do you get the sense it's, it's kind of that more spiritual and immaterial? Or do you get the sense it's more physical? All he wants is just something in his belly. Yeah, it's more physical. Esau, Esau's got an appetite. He just wants to be fed. He's hungry. I want to suggest that in this story, you see two kinds of hunger. You see one man that has a hunger for just, he just has physical appetites. You see another man that has hunger for immaterial things. And I'm not saying this well, but this is where I'm wondering is, you have Jacob who is hungering for something, excuse me, you have Esau who is hungering for something physical. He just wants something to meet the need in his heart today. And so what does he do? He borrows from tomorrow. He's willing to sell his birthright so that he can meet a hunger in his heart today. Esau turns that around. He says, I'll give away a bowl of soup today. Why? Because I've got a plan for how I'm going to come out on top tomorrow. And men and women, I want to suggest to you today, I want to ask you, what are you hungry for this, this evening? You say, Billy, what do you mean? I just had supper, we had snacks, that watermelon was great. Fine, fair enough. Some of us, it's just, it's just physical hunger. You're growing. I get that. Some of it's more than that, though. There's something in you that needs more. The truth is, your family has never had enough money, and what you want more than anything is you want physical, hard cash. Right here. The truth is, this is what you're hungry for. How do I graduate from high school? How do I graduate from college? And how do I end up with as much physical money in my account as possible? This is what I'm hungry for. Case in point. There's some of us that it's like, you know what? What I really hunger for is I just want somebody to love me. I just want somebody to love me. I want somebody to love me physically. I see she has somebody, he has somebody. I just want somebody that will physically think I'm beautiful. Somebody that will think I'm strong. Somebody that will look to me. Somebody, there's some of us here in the room, all we want is somebody who will physically engage us. We're looking for some kind of physical engagement, relationship. We're hungry for it. And the truth is, most of us, 
Most of us, we're hungry for that kind of physical relationship. And since we can't get it, where do we turn? We go right to our phones. We go right to our phones. We're hungry for physical relationship. We're hungry for physical intimacy. We can't get it. So what do we do? We just start looking at him or her. Those are physical hungers, and I would suggest they're represented right here in the room. That's just like Jacob. But I would suggest there's others here in the room that you and you may be like you may be excuse me you may be like Jacob. Esau's the one with the physical hungers. Jacob is the one with the hungers that are almost they're almost more dangerous because you can't see them. There's a certain sense in which you begin to scheme. How do I use my relationships to bring about something that will meet the need in my heart? How do I manipulate? How do I scheme? I'll use my body if I need to. I'll use my grades if I need to. I'll use sports if I need to. I'll use whatever I need to so that I can build a reputation so that people can recognize me because I'm hungry for affirmation. I'm hungry for somebody to tell me that I am good enough. I am hungry for somebody to tell me that I'm of value, that I actually have meaning, that I actually am important to someone, anyone out there in the world. Because I'm not hearing it from my dad. I don't trust my mom. And the truth is, I am hungry for someone to love me. And I'll do whatever I have to do to get it. Are you more like Jacob tonight? Or are you more like Esau? Where do you fall? This is the problem, though. This is the problem. I don't think either Jacob or Esau would have believed the words of Jesus because Jesus shows up in Matthew chapter 5 and he says, blessed are the hungry. I think Jacob and Esau would have been like, hungry? Are you kidding me? Hunger's not a blessing, it's a curse. I've been trying to deal with porn addiction all week. I don't want anybody to know. I don't want anybody to know about this Hunger, it is so embarrassing. I don't, it controls me. Some of us, we eat too much because we're hungry for attention, for comfort. Some of us, we don't eat. In fact, we haven't eaten much at all, all week. Why? Because we're hungry, not for food, but because we want, we desperately want control in our life. You say, hunger, hunger's not a blessing, hunger's a curse. If I only had this, if I had her body, if I had his girlfriend, if I had their family's money, then I would have enough, then I would be satisfied. Hunger's a curse, Billy. And Jesus shows up in Matthew 5 and says, no, 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 hunger is a blessing. Because the hunger in your heart and the hunger in mine actually drive us to Jesus. And this is the radical promise of Matthew 5. Jesus said, if you come hungry to me, I'll fill you. If you come hungry to me, I can fill your hunger. You go to, you go to porn, you'll be hungry in the next hour. You go to control, you don't eat, 
Do the eating discipline. Just, just don't just shut down the calories. Guess what? You can never manage it enough. It literally takes over your brain. The funny thing is you're trying to stop thinking about food and you end up spending all of your time thinking about it. Jesus says, any other place you look is gonna leave you unsatisfied. I'm the only one. The hunger's in your heart. Approval? To be somebody who is loved for who God made you to be? To be recognized, to be seen. He says, you look anywhere else. You can, you can be the top of any one of your sports. You can be the prettiest girl in the room. You can, be, you can have the highest GPA. Or you can have your own identity as just kind of the funky dude in the corner. You can be one of the geeks over here. Whatever your identity is, no matter which way you turn, it will not satisfy. Because Jesus made the world in such a way that we, none of those things will, all of those things, drive us to him. You say, Billy, what do you mean? This is the thing that breaks my heart every time I think about it. Guess what? Esau sold his birthright. He woke up the next morning after having eaten a bowl of soup and a loaf of bread. Having sold it for his birthright, what happened the next morning? He woke up and what did he experience? He was hungry again. Only this time, he didn't have a birthright to bargain with. And there's some of us here tonight that have sold our birthrights for bowls of soup. You know exactly who I'm talking to. We've sold our birthrights for bowls of soup. The world's full of Jacob's and Esau's. Hungry people that are desperately trying to meet the needs in their bodies, in their hearts. How do I satisfy me? The world is full of hungry people. Jacob's and Esau's. And you know what? They need people like you to go and tell them that Jesus is the only one who can meet the hungers in their hearts. They need people like you who can go and tell them that only Jesus can satisfy the ache, the thirst in their souls. But men and women, I'm here to tell you, you can't give what you don't have. You can't give away what you have not experienced. You say, Billy, tell me more about that. Well, I'm so glad you asked. Do you remember that little passage in John chapter 7? John chapter 7, Jesus is at the end of one of those big feasts. They've, uh, it's a, it's a week-long feast 
They've come to Jerusalem. There's thousands of people in Jerusalem, and all the water is gone. All the bottles of water have been drunk up. All the cisterns are empty. All the people, everything you brought from home, we've gone through all the Nalgenes. Everybody's down to just their last little ration of water to basically get home. It's the end of the feast. They've had a glorious time. At this point, they're ready to get back so that they can refill what? They're now jeans and drink deeply. It's hot and everyone is thirsty. On that day, the last day of the feast, Jesus stands up and this is what he says. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He or she who believes in me As the scripture has said, from his inmost being, rivers of living water will flow. By this, he meant the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. Men and women, Jesus is the only one who can satisfy the hunger in your heart. Full stop. And it's only when we've given all of our hunger to Jesus, when we've come to the point where we've said, Jesus, you can have these deep hungers, this thirst in my soul, whatever it is, physically, immaterially, spiritually, I don't know what it is. But I wonder if the story of Jacob and Esau is a story pointing us to surrender. And I wonder tonight at Indian Springs if Jesus is asking us to surrender our hunger to him. Say, Jesus, could you meet the deep ache in my soul? The questions that I have, could you answer them? Let me not take it to her. Let me not take it to him. Let me not try and achieve it on my own. But could I bring my hungers to you? And would you fill me? And could there be rivers of life-giving water that could flow out of my life? You say, how is that possible? John 7 says, whoever comes and whoever believes. Coming is pretty straightforward. You just have to make a movement towards God. You make a movement towards God and he'll meet you on the way. Come and believe. You say, oh, Billy, believe. I never know what to do. Do I have enough? Is it enough? I get it. That's fair. Belief is a tough one. One of the shorthand definitions or kind of the, one of the ways I've been trying to get my head around belief is the concept of being open. You say, Billy, what do you mean? When Joanne and I disagree about something, guess what? We go from open and engaged and trusting to suddenly I'm grumpy and I have my arms crossed and I always turn from her. I'm open. She's a safe place to where suddenly I'm not and she's not a safe place and I close down. Tonight, Jesus is saying, I'm your safe place. Would you open yourself to me? If you make a move towards God, you come. And you open yourself up to him. He said, I can fill your life with rivers of living water. And you know what happens? Men and women, 
when Jesus begins to pour his life into your life, it begins to meet the need. It begins to satisfy the people around you. Because everyone around you is thirsty and they begin to realize there's something different about her. I want what she's got. How does he do that? Because I can't. And suddenly, your life becomes a wellspring of Jesus for the lives around you. What's fascinating is you begin to have a heart for the Jacobs and Esau's around you because you say, this is what Jesus has done for me and I want him to do it for you. At the end of a, eh, it might have been halfway through the uh, Asbury outpouring, I had the opportunity to be at the altar. I told you I got to go out and hang out with Jake one time. I had the opportunity to be at the altar at one point and uh, there was a guy that came, young man who came to pray and uh, he had something wrapped around his neck. I wasn't real sure what it was. I had seen a Brazilian flag in the crowd. And this is the amazing thing. When I say people came to Wilmore, they didn't just come from Nicholasville and Lexington or kind of central Kentucky. They literally came from around the world. They had a family from Chile who sold their car, bought plane tickets, and came to Wilmore to meet God. So I'd seen a Brazilian flag, but this wasn't a Brazilian flag. So anyway, I kneeled down with this guy and just said, uh, hey, you know, what, is there anything I can pray with on you? I'll tell you, is there anything you want to pray about? And uh, he said, yeah, yeah. I said, what's your name? He said, my name's Juan. He said, I'm from Mexico. And at this point, I kind of looked and he showed me his flag and he had a big Mexican flag hanging down his back. I said, Juan, what's your story? He said, uh, he said I was in Mexico City when I began to hear that God had come to Asbury. And so he said, I bought a ticket and I flew from Mexico City to another city in Mexico. I don't know the name of it. From there, he flew to Arizona. From Arizona, he flew to Philadelphia. From Philadelphia, he flew to Cincinnati. From Cincinnati, he got a car and he made his way to Wilmore. In Wilmore, he found the chapel, Hughes Auditorium, and he had come all the way to the altar. He said, my heart is for the country of Mexico. He said, I want God to come to Mexico like he's come to Wilmore. Would you pray with me for my country, Mexico? I said, oh man, you better believe I'll pray for you. Let's pray for Mexico. So we knelt, began to pray, asking Jesus to show, work in a mighty way, come and save the nation of Mexico. Start with Mexico City and then do a great work from out of Mexico City. We prayed and prayed. We got done. I kind of thought we were done. And when we got done, he kind of awkwardly like pulled out a t-shirt. It was kind of rolled up. He had it under the altar. He pulled it out, set it on the altar, unrolled it, and it had this logo on it. And it was his youth group. And he said, this is my youth group's logo. He said, my real burden is for the young people of Mexico. Would you pray with me for the youth of Mexico? I said, yes, I would love to pray with you. He said, what's that? And he pointed down the altar and there was a little bottle of oil, anointing oil. And the Bible talks about anointing people with oil as a symbol of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. He said, could we anoint my t-shirt representing the youth of Mexico and then pray for it? 
I grabbed the bottle of oil and anointed the shirt. I anointed him. I anointed the flag. Anointed. I was kind of everywhere, anywhere I could. And then we prayed for the young people of Mexico that God would start a revival. He would pour out his spirit. He would do what he had done at Asbury among the young people of Mexico. We got done praying for Mexico. I said, Juan, how old are you? He said, three months ago, I turned 18. Now, men and women, this is what happens when God gets a hold of a man or a woman who is willing to trust Jesus with the deep hungers in their heart. Suddenly, not only does he build up a wellspring of life to satisfy the needs in their heart and life, but then suddenly they begin to have a burden in a heart for the people that don't know God, the people that are taking their hungers to all the wrong places and to all the wrong people. And men and women, I want to challenge you here at Indian Springs tonight. I wonder if there's a world of Esau's and Jacob's out there, and they are hungry for God, but they don't know it. And I wonder if Indian Springs might be an opportunity where God is talking to your heart. And he says, I want to fill you. I want to meet the hunger in your heart with myself. I want to do something in you this year, this week, tonight. Because out of you, I want there to flow rivers of living water so you have a heart, so you can take me to a lost and dying world of Jacob's and Esau. Jacob and Esau's are hungry. And they need men and women just like you. Wands. Who are willing to say, God's met me. Now I want him to meet those I care about. Who's on your heart? Who are the Jacob's and Esau's that you wish God would meet? You know the best way for God to meet those Jacob and Esau's? is for you to let God meet you tonight. Whatever you're holding on, whatever hunger you think, no, God, I can't trust this to you, I'm too afraid to give it over, give it to Jesus and let him fill you with himself. He's bigger and he can satisfy no matter how deep the ache in your soul. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why is hunger a blessing? Because Jesus says, you will be filled. And when you're filled, suddenly you have something to offer to the world around you. Would you bow in prayer with me? Jesus, I thank you for these men and women. You know the hungers that are represented right here in this room. Hungers for sex, hungers for validation, hungers, hungers just for, just for a, a whole family. I just wish I had a family that loved me. I wish I had a dad that would approve of me. I wish I had a mom that didn't screech or that wasn't so controlling. I just, I, I just wish for a safe place. I'm hungry for safety. I wish there was someone who could comfort me. You know the hungers. I don't know them all. I know some of them, but you know all of them. So Jesus, I just ask, would you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, meet the hungers 
in the room tonight with your holy, life-giving spirit. Would you come, Lord Jesus, and meet these kids tonight? Men and women, if you need to come to the altar, I know it's evening devotions, it's bedtime story. We're not going to try and stay up late. We got programs. But if God's talking to your heart and you need to pray with somebody before you go to bed, you find a counselor, you come find me. Dan and Katie Beth are there. There's others here that can pray with you. But you don't want to go to bed with an unmet hunger that hasn't been surrendered to Jesus. Jesus, I pray you would bless these young people and I pray you would fill the hungers in their hearts with yourself so that they have something to offer a world full of Jacob's and Esau's. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Again, I'm done. I don't know the next part of the program. But if God's talking to your heart, you don't want to not respond to him. If that's here at the altar, if that's back at your cabin with your counselor, you do what you need to do. And the guy who's going to help you figure that out is right here. Matt will help you know how you can meet with someone tonight so that you talk through whatever it is Jesus has put on your heart.